Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. Hey everybody, it's Shannon and I am back with you to discuss, of course, new book releases. But before we do that, I am really excited to share an interview that Natalia and I conducted a couple of weeks ago. We spoke with Devin Daniels about her rom-com novel, which is Meet You in the Middle. It was a really, really enlightening conversation about romance, about politics, and I hope you enjoy it. So I'm going to get started with the usual housekeeping information, and then we will get right into the episode, starting with the interview, followed by the new book information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and I'm here with Natalia today. And together, we are chatting with author Devin Daniels about her debut novel, which is called Meet You in the Middle. It was released here in the U.S. in February. And Devin, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. You are very welcome. So I always like to start by having you give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to your novel. Absolutely. So um, Meet You in the Middle is the story of two Senate staffers, one Republican, one Democrat, who fall in love across the aisle. Uh, it's Kate and Ben are my two characters, and they work for senators on um, legislative staffers. Um, and they, the book starts off with them having a really bad meeting, um, does not go well, and it sort of um, kicks off a, a uh, enemies to lovers relationship. Um, that transitions throughout the book. So they, they start off, um, you know, with a bit of a prank war and some inner office um, back and forth and until they sort of kind of call an uneasy truce. And uh, I would say the book goes on from there without getting too spoilery. Um, but eventually, of course, they fall in love. And a big uh, part of the story, of course, is their different political views um, and how they are able to bridge that divide and if they are able to bridge that divide. Um, and, yep. And so I, I uh, came up with the story um, after the 2016 election. I was at that time looking to write a romance, a romantic comedy, and I wanted to write an enemies lover story, which is, of course, my favorite. 
And I sort of looked around and was thinking about what are the real reasons <laughs> that people would be in, in an enemies to lovers relationship? Like what are the, the big relationship conflicts um, that I could come up with? And to me, that was, we were just really surrounded by this idea that we cannot possibly date someone who doesn't have the same beliefs as we do. And I just thought it was such a meaty uh, conflict for a romance novel. And I thought it was a, a really interesting challenge for myself to take such a um, charged topic and make it funny and entertaining. And I think it really is a charged topic. Um, mm -hmm. I have a couple of questions for you about your characters, but I'm going to let Natalia um, ask you her first question since you kind of spoke a little bit about, um, I think, where she wants to go. Okay. You did. It's, it's like you, you took it out of the words out of my mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so you're trying, what you're saying is that you kind of wanted like a realistic enemies yeah. to lovers scenario. Yeah. And uh, do you think that the volatility of what made you come up with this scenario based on the uh, volatility of the political climate right now? And how do you think it has been received so far? <laughs> Does it surprise um, you at all? <laughs> no. So I would say, um, you know, I was really, I'm just intrigued by uh, stories that haven't been done, uh, stories that other people are not touching. And when I decided to write a book, I just really didn't want to write the same thing that every other, you know, writer is 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 going after. And I wanted to come up with something that felt really unique. And right. you know, considering how surrounded we are by politics, it's literally permeated, you know, every possible, um, you know, <laughs> subject matter at this point. The fact that no one was writing about it in a romantic context was just really, you know, kind of strange, and, and it felt like a like a big opportunity um, to say something, you know, interesting, maybe a little bit different than what you're hearing as part of the narrative is like we just absolutely can't get along. I don't agree with that. Um, I know right. many people who are in mixed political relationships, and quite frankly, even if you have, uh, even if you vote for the, you know, the same candidate or the same political party, you don't really agree with your spouse, or your partner on every issue. And I mean, at least definitely not. <laughs> yeah, that's not my perspective. That's not my experience. So, um, you know, and I really thought back to when I was single, <laughs> which was a long time ago. Um, I've, I've been married for, you know, 15 years, 16 years. Um, but I remember back in those days thinking, well, you know, how will you raise your kids if you don't think the same about certain issues? And that was, those kind of ideas um, really informed how I wrote this because I think a lot of people rightly, you know, look at those, those big issues and think, well, you know, how would I teach my children or how would we find a middle ground? Um, right. And, and it just seemed so interesting and juicy to um, sink my teeth into. And I, and I thought, if I can pull this off and make it funny, um, and entertaining and, and really bring people along for the ride. It's a very high stakes um, uh, conflict. You know, it's, I've read a lot of romance and I, I particularly like conflicts that feel realistic and, and feel like, ooh, that's, that's like a tough one. Like, how do I feel about that? And, you know, it's things that make me examine my own belief system or my own behavior. Those are the ones that really stick with me. And so that's the kind of book that I wanted to write. Um, and I feel, yeah. I feel like your book did actually accomplish that. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> it, it really, uh, at least for me, I think that the way the characters self-reflected um, mm -hmm. 
um, and talk to each other about what it meant to be open-minded and study themselves was very, very well done. Oh, thank so, you. Appreciate that. <laughs> you're welcome. So how do you think your book has been received by the public and does the reception of the book surprise you in any way? Um, so that's, you know, that's a, um, a loaded question. Um, <laughs> when I wrote the book, I actually thought that no publisher would pick it up. I, I kind of had a 50-50 thought about that. I thought either every publisher will want this book because it is so timely and such a relevant topic, or no publisher is going to touch this book with a 10-foot pole. And I was actually fine with that. It gave me real freedom to write how I wanted to write. I didn't worry about who I was going to offend. You know, I sort of was an equal opportunity offender with this book. I poke fun at both sides, you know, hopefully. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. You know, and my goal was, you know, if I'm laughing at it, um, I'm laughing at myself. I'm laughing at, you know, the other side. I'm laughing at the whole thing, you know, and I had readers on both sides read it. And I, and I would say to them, tell me if I got over the line. Like if you're going to slam this book closed, cause you're so mad, like that's what, <laughs> that's what I want you to tell me. Um, but what I, what I found was like the exact opposite. They said, I've heard all this before. Like it's not, you know, I think everyone's so used to the insults. It's like, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't hit very personally, but anyway, so um, I was, I, I had the experience that a lot of publishers wanted the book and I was awesome. you know, really pleasantly surprised by that at the time. Um, and, um, but what was interesting was when the day that the book got announced was when um, I started to get immediate backlash from, I guess, I don't know, people online, you know, social media people, um, you know, I guess people don't believe that you should try to write about people getting along. That was sort of my takeaway is um, <laughs> like it, such a relationship can't work and why would we want to read it? And um, I don't know. I, I don't really, I didn't really put a lot of stock in that. You know, no one, none of these people had read the book. Um, I think that's just sort of that social media noise that personally, it doesn't really mean anything to me. I, you know, it didn't, it didn't bother me so much. Um, but it was a long time before the book actually came out that other people, you know, that actual readers could read the book and see, um, that, you know, sort of the social media chatter about the book was, you know, not accurate, but since the book has come out, it's been about three weeks, um, just a total outpouring of positive, you know, comments, messages from people. Um, they, they love the book. They love the message. I, I've, you know, heard from people in bipartisan relationships that are, you know, have thanked me for, you know, writing the story. People who have told me that um, they've, they reflected on their own behavior as they were reading it, um, how thought provoking the, 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 the story is and the conflict and the way that they handled their arguments. Um, so for me, it's, it's like everything I, I was trying to say with the book now um, I'm hearing, and it's it's extremely uh, meaningful to me to to get that feedback. So it seems to me that a lot of what you were trying to get across is that people can find sort of common ground and can find a way to relate to one another, to love one another, to live with one another. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know if you think that there are things that people just can't. Hmm. can't like, yeah, like get deal, past deal breakers. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on, on the kind of person you are and the personality you are. Um, if you are someone who absolutely lives and dies by, um, you know, politics affecting your every decision. Um, and that's the number one 
uh, you know, value you put on another human being. Um, but you might have deal breakers, <laughs> like maybe you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't um, partake in a bipartisan relationship. Um, however, I don't right. believe most people um, believe that or behave that way. In fact, uh, one of the um, uh, statistics that I read uh, when I did so much research for this book, and one of the statistics that really um, stuck with me, and I, I, I refer to it all the time, is that based on you know what you watch on you know the news or hear on social media, you're actually hearing from the extreme far left 10% and the extreme far right 10%. But yes. in actuality, right. most people are here in this 80%, which you might call the silent majority. Mm-hmm. Um, 80% is in the middle. They want people to get along. They want politicians to be working together and compromising. Um, they're looking for solutions that um, can maybe take the best from both sides and move forward with something that you know works, if, even if it's not 100% what you want. Um, that is what, what, in my opinion, most people that I interact with in my life, um, how, how they believe and how they behave. So um, I don't necessarily see things as deal breakers, but I do think that, um, you know, if you are someone who can communicate well um, with your partner or spouse and you can continue to respect the other person or, you know, basically agree to disagree, um, I don't think, I don't think that there's a deal breaker there. At least that's, that's how I feel kind of a common refrain that I've heard over the past months and even years is that like certain things people can agree to disagree on, like whether you like mustard or anchovies. Um, And I think where it gets icky for people is when we start to talk about the issues that affect human rights. And I've heard people say that, you know, I can't agree to disagree with you about human rights. And so I feel like that is kind of a big sticking point on people's relationships and sort of how they view like the other side of the aisle. Mm -hmm. And so I was intrigued in your book, um, you know, to see that like you didn't necessarily talk about like those kind of issues of, of human rights. Like we focused on things that people could actually get past and it could form common ground on and Mm -hmm. so I think it actually felt very realistic that yes like these are things that people can agree on or not agree on and that's okay right yeah I mean I tried to stay away from things that felt very extreme um and focus on issues that like so as an example the um the legislation and the issues that Ben and Kate are mostly focused on for her is um childcare credits and, you know, help for, for families, um, in regards to, you know, childcare and, mm-hmm. and his is, um, a, he's constantly working on uh, the tax plan and the financial, right. financial aspects. And I chose those very particularly because, um, I wanted to pick issues where you would still be able to root for both characters, you know, no matter what your own personal politics are. I didn't want to. Yes. That was so right. Yes. Because they're so important to everybody. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Uh, I don't know anyone who doesn't want lower taxes and I don't know anyone who would want to deprive, you know, people of, of child care help. <laughs> so right. <laughs> I was very focused on uh, making both characters, people that you could root for um, and not automatically be closed off to it, you know, because of one issue or another. Um, I also didn't want the book to feel like what you feel like when you turn on cable news and there's just people yelling at each other. Um, yes. You know, the book is a wrong so much. Yeah. And it's, it's supposed to be a happy book. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a book that makes you laugh. And 
um, you know, by sticking with, with sort of, I would say kind of more of a broad bird's eye view um, and, and, you know, I don't want to say stereotypes, but sort of those, those big issues that um, uh, separate the parties. Um, that was sort of my way of, of uh, again, making it so that, you know, if you're reading, you're not going to like close the book because you're so mad <laughs> about, mm-hmm. you know, one particular thing that, that the characters say. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, that was very intentional on my part. Um, yeah. So I'd like to talk with you um, briefly about Kate and Ben and kind of how we get to know them. <laughs> so the story is told almost exclusively from Kate's perspective mm-hmm. with just a little bit from Ben at the end. And so I'm curious to know what went into that decision for you? What made you yep. decide to show us mostly Kate Yes, and then a little bit of Ben? So I knew that I wanted it to be a single point of view from the get-go. And one of the reasons why is because, again, I read a lot of romance. And one of the things that stands out for me when I read a romance novel that I just love is that there's some element of surprise. Um, And I think that's hard to do in romance because, of course, you know, it's going to end in a happily ever after. Right. So how, how can I make it so that the reader doesn't know what's coming next? And how can I have them say, whoa, like didn't see that one coming? And um, I think with a dual point of view romance, you just really can't accomplish a lot of those, that element of surprise. You, if you know what's in the hero's head, um, there's, there's a lot less mystery. And uh, I personally like reading um, a single point of view stories and being fully immersed in one person's head, <clears throat> the, the female protagonist's head in particular, um, because in real life, you know, we don't know what the guy's thinking, right? I don't know. Right. What my, I don't know what my husband's thinking. And I, also, right. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like to let the reader fill in some gaps on their own. So in my mind, I had some ideas about what, what Ben was doing. Like when this exchange ended, what did he do? You know, did he go home to his apartment and he was mad? Did he go to the gym and you know, punch a punch, a punching bag? Like, you know, so I kind of like made up things in my head. Um, but I like the idea that that the reader can can come up with that on their own and that you don't have to spell everything out on the page. You can leave a little mystery on the page. Um, and I just think that's fun to guess at. And, and some of the books that that I really love that stand out for me, I, I, I just really like that element of mystery. But um, in terms of the surprises, I do have some sort of surprises um, sort of strategically placed throughout the book. And uh, I would never have been able to pull off those surprises if we had gotten Ben's perspective. So um, so that, that for me was a very conscious decision from the get go. And then I chose to um, add in the Ben perspective in the epilogue uh, just because I thought it was fun. I've read that in a couple of other books and I remember it was always such a cool surprise when you get to the end and you're like, Oh, <laughs> didn't see, didn't see this coming. I get to, I get to be in his head for a little bit. And um, I also wanted to sort of clear up, um, you know, again, there's some, there's more surprises I think in the epilogue about what Ben uh, was thinking during a couple of their exchanges that the reader mm-hmm. didn't know. Yeah. So it's, for me, it's, it's fun. It's surprising and delighting the reader. Awesome. So can you tell us, um, since you're talking about books that you've read mm-hmm. and what you've enjoyed in the novels that you've read, um, who are some of your favorite authors? Who would you say are your inspirations So I as far love, as writers? Yeah. I love um, particularly romantic comedies where the humor feels similar to mine. <laughs> and I also like books that have a very creative, um, style of writing. So that means a lot of like visual imagery, 
um, metaphors that, that make me laugh, um, you know, cl really clever dialogue. So for me, um, I always tell uh, the people who ask me this question, the first, first book I always recommend is The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> That's the leader of the rom-com genre. And there's a reason for it, which is because the book is perfect. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> and um, it's it's just so funny. The pacing and tension is great. And the uh, romance is really intense. And I just love that book. Everyone I recommend it to comes back and says, give me one just like this. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, but there isn't one just like that. <laughs> there's um, not another one. <laughs> so I'm starting no. at the top when I give you that. Um, I um, really enjoy the author R.S. Gray. I don't know if you guys. Um, yes, yes. Okay. I like her. Her her books are so great. She has a really big um, backlist. And my personal favorite um, of hers is Arrogant Devil. I love it. Um, but I really love all of her books. It's just she's a one click buy for me. Um, I enjoy uh, Penny Reed. Do you read Penny Reed? Uh, I just read yes. my first Penny Reed yes. um, a couple of weeks ago. Which one was it? It was Beauty and the Mustache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, the Knitting in the City uh, series is really good. And then there's the Winston uh, Brothers series that she does also. Um, yes. Good. And I, I, I like really strong heroines. Um, that's something that I'm really particular about. And I don't, I don't love it. Um, when the hero sort of rescues her, she's down on her luck. I really think mm -hmm. that, like Penny Reed's heroines are strong. Um, they're smart, they're, you know, independent, they're um, maybe professionally successful. I love that. That for me is, is a real catnip. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, I'm reading a really great book right now that's not out yet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so well, tell us about it. It's by Lacey Walden. Um, she, uh, it's a um, Putnam book that's coming out. It's called The Layover. And um, it's going to be definitely a big uh, beach read, I think, uh, this summer. And it's about a flight attendant. It's, a, it's an enemies to lovers. It has a really kind of a hating game-esque feel as well. You can see I, I'm like a one-trick pony. I, you know, anything that's like <laughs> a hating game, I, I go for it. Um <laughs> But definitely put that one on your list. It's very fun and clever writing. I will. Um, yeah. So, so you know, any any author that has sort of that that type of feel um, for me, I, I, I naturally gravitate to. Yes, I think some of those books are just so clever, and the way people can kind of change the whole perspective on how they feel about someone, and you just kind of see it unfolding over the yeah. course of the novel. Yes. And I, I like the realistic aspect of them, too, because um, a lot of the books that you mentioned, um, it's enemies to lovers, but yeah. some some enemies to lovers books we read, um, you enjoy it in a book and you're like, in real life, I, I don't think I could pass this. I, right. But, you can these not books, deal with that. It would be no. very hard. Yes. In real life. And, and it's funny because some people ask me, like, um, you know, do, do you have an enemies to lovers relationship in your life? And I'm <laughs> No, no, <laughs> no. no I, I like it in my books. Only. In my books Thank you. Works. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so can you tell us anything about what is coming next for you? Well, I'm writing book two, um, which is, you know, challenging. Book two is challenging. <laughs> I've heard every author say, um, but um, let's see, what can I tell you about it without, because I'm very superstitious about talking about it too early, but um, I would say it has, it's a, it's a true rom-com. Um, it has sort of um, shades of your favorite romantic comedy movies in it. Um, 
And there's a Ooh. little bit of, uh, of a generational twist to it, um, like modern dating versus past. And um, <laughs> I don't know if I don't find one Okay, that, that's fair. That's totally fair. We can respect your, your process there. Is there Completely. anything in writing your second novel that you would do differently from things you did when writing your first? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, so I, uh, Meet You in the Middle was the first full novel that I have ever attempted to write. And when I started writing that book, I had certain scenes absolutely were like in my head um, before I started. And I started by writing those particular scenes, even though, um, you know, like, you know, the, their, their walk home, for example, when, when Kate has had too much to drink. Oh, yes. yes. I love that. <laughs> yes, that, that was my favorite, you know, part to write. And I, I started the book with that in mind. Um, and so I wrote that first, even though I didn't have any backstory on these characters yet. Um, so I ended up, you know, having to sort of fill it in from there. And I, and I ended up, you know, by the time I actually finished the book, it was 140,000 words. <laughs> and that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, but a romance uh, in the genre needs to be 80 to 100,000 words. So I had a, oh. just an absolute ton <laughs> to delete and cut and edit out. And so that was really challenging. So, um, so my first book, I eventually kind of stopped writing the, the piecemeal scenes and started from the beginning and wrote all the way through. Um, and then when I was done, I had to, to really figure out how to sort of, um, I guess, what's the word? Um, uh, I don't know, you know, a combine and, and, and cut. So the second time around, I am trying to write from the first chapter, like in order. Um, cause I think that's actually a good way to get to know your characters. You're getting to know them, you know, as the same time the reader is really. Um, and, but I do have ideas for certain scenes. I start with a, a pretty basic outline where I know what my kind of my big turning points are. I know the general flow of the story, uh, I have certain scenes in mind, um, but filling in those kind of in-between transitions, um, and the actual, you know, dialogue and the conversations and how the relationship unfolds is all sort of a mystery. <laughs> um, so right now I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm about halfway through, but I know how the, the story is going to end up. And Wonderful. I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah. We're excited to read it. And yes, yes we are. <laughs> for those listeners who are listening to you speak for the first time and maybe haven't picked up um, Meet You in the Middle or haven't heard of you before do you have anywhere where we can find you as far as social media yes any platforms that you yeah. can tell us um i do the most interacting on instagram and you can find me there at devin daniels author um and then i also do a little bit on facebook um also devin daniels author and um i'm on twitter i have a twitter handle but i don't really interact there um so yeah find me on instagram <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us this morning and to let us and our listeners get to know a little bit about you and your writing and just sort of what prompted you mm -hmm. to write this book. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. You are yes. very welcome. Thank you for doing what you do and writing um, books that are, I guess, different. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's very awesome.
I'm so glad. Thank you. I, I appreciate the compliments. It's very fun um, since the book's been out to actually hear from, from people who read it. It's, you know, I started writing it, you know, three and a half, four years ago. Ah, um, oh, wow. So things were really different. It really yes. is. Yeah, I was writing it in 2017. So it's, um, it's, it's almost strange to, <laughs> it's finally <laughs> in people's hands. It's really exciting to, to hear from people about it. So thank you. All right. So let's talk about new books. This is the last week of March, and there are so many great books coming out this week, especially if you are Natalia. Um, two of her March, her most anticipated books of March are out this week, and one of her most anticipated books of April was released early. So I'm going to get started with those books because you've heard us mention them before. So all of these, as I said, are Natalia picks. We have With You All the Way, which is a contemporary YA novel. We have She's Too Pretty to Burn by Wendy Hurd, which is a young adult thriller. And then we have Edge of Valor, the Edge of series book seven by Kyla Stone, which was supposed to come out in April, but is actually out um, on March 29th. So you can definitely pick that up now if you're interested. I don't think it's out in audio yet, but it is out in print and ebook. So those are some of Natalia's great excitements for today. Let's move on to books that you haven't heard us talk about before. I'm starting out with The Path to Sunshine Cove by Rayanne Thane. This is the second book in her Cape Sanctuary series, and I have actually never read Rayanne Thane, but Stacy really likes her and Natalia does as well. This is that kind of warm-hearted women's fiction with a little bit of romance, lots of talk about second chances and family ties, small town charm. So if you are a fan, you should pick it up. It is The Path to Sunshine Cove, Cape Sanctuary, book two by Rayanne Thane. Then we have The Three Mrs. Greys. This is by Shelley Ellis, and it is a novel about one wealthy businessman, three unsuspecting wives, and an explosive series of events. If you want to know more, as I do, you'll have to pick it up when you get a chance. It is The Three Mrs. Greys, and it's by Shelley Ellis. Okay, now we're going to talk about some historical novels. And I am so excited for many, many of these. I love historical fiction, and there's just so much good stuff this week. So, Wild Women and the Blues by Denny S. Bryce is out this week. And it is a dual timeline novel about a chorus girl in the 1920s and a film student in present day. And both of them are dealing with loss and grief as they kind of come together through a series of events that you'll have to read the book to find out about. But I love things set in the 1920s. And as you know, we here at Book Bistro are big fans of dual timeline novels. So this one has been on my list for a while. It is Wild Women and the Blues by Denny S. Bryce. We then have The Final Revival of Opal and Nev 
by Donnie Walton. This is a historical novel set in the 1970s, and it is about Opal, who is a black punk artist before society was really ready for that, and how she teamed up with a British rock star named Nev, who's white, and what happens when they try to make it big and like race relations get in the way. Um, it looks kind of like an oral history in the way that Daisy Jones and the Six was, although I don't know that for sure. I just know that it looks really great, kind of that fictional look at a band that, you know, didn't really exist, but we probably wish it did. So this is The Final Revival of Opal and Nev, and this is by Donnie Walton. And Stephanie Dre has a new book this week as well. This is The Women at Chateau Lafayette. And this is not a dual timeline novel, but like a triple timeline novel. Um, it is the story of a castle in France and the three women who defended it during some tumultuous times in history. We have the French Revolution, World War I, and World War II. So this is The Women of Chateau Lafayette by Stephanie Dre. Then we have Mrs. Wiggins. This is by Mary Monroe. If you've read Monroe before, you know that she writes about African-American women living in the South. And this is a standalone novel. Um, I think she's best known for her Mama Ruby books, which I have not read. But this one is right up my alley. I think it is set in the South during the Great Depression, and it's about one woman who really wants to have a respectable life and has decided that she's going to do that no matter who or what tries to stop her. So this is Mrs. Wiggins, and it's by Mary Monroe. We also have Liberty, and it's Liberty spelled T-I-E, by Caitlin Greenidge. And I read We Love You, Charlie Freeman, by her a couple of years ago, and it was not my favorite book. However, this new one looks so, so good. It takes place in Reconstructionist era um, Brooklyn, and it's about a teenage girl who is kind of coming of age during this really pivotal time in history. And how she's learning about her identity and her place in the world, I definitely want to check it out. It is Liberty, and it's by Caitlin Greenidge. And Martha Hall Kelly has released The Sunflower Sisters this week. She was really, really well known a couple of years ago for her novel, The Lilac Girls, which was set during World War II. This is a novel set during the Civil War, and we meet three women who do their best to fight for the abolition of slavery. And I read The Lilac Girls. I did not read the book that came after it, but I'm really looking forward to this one. So this is The Sunflower Sisters, and it is by Martha Hall Kelly. Then we have Of Women and Salt. This is by Gabriela Garcia. This has gotten a ton of early buzz. Like Time Magazine did a big thing on this book and it looks really, really excellent. It's pretty short. Um, it looks like in audio it will be under eight hours. 
but it is the story of five generations of women who are bound together by this book that gets passed down from woman to woman. And through this book, we kind of see who these women are and what their struggles have been. Um, I'm not really sure what to compare it to. I haven't seen a lot of like read-alikes for it, but I do want to give it a try. It is Of Women and Salt by Gabriela Garcia. Okay, so now we have a couple of, still staying in historicals, but I'm going to talk about a couple of historical romances. And this, next, this first one is Scoundrel of My Heart. This is Once Upon a Dukedom, book one by Lorraine Heath. And I really have liked several of the books I've read by Lorraine Heath. She has a huge backlist. I have not read it all, but what I have read, I just really, really love. Um, if you enjoy the kind of, you know, fantasy that is like Regency era romance with dukes and fancy dresses and big houses, crazy parties, um, you might want to give this a try. It is, once again, Scoundrel of My Heart, Once Upon a Dukedom, book one by Lorraine Heath. And we have Wild Child, which is the sixth book in the Wilds of Lindau Castle series by Eloisa James. This series has been going on now for a couple of years. I have not read it. Eloisa James is one of those people that I look at her books and I'm like, oh, this looks good. I should you know, really sit down and read this. And then I move on to something else. So she's been on my radar for quite a while. Um, Stacy and Sarah both love When Beauty Tamed the Beast, which is part of her like fairy tale romance series. So whether you've read James or not, if you love historical romance, this book should definitely be on your radar. At the very least, it is Wild Child, The Wilds of Lindau Castle, book one, I'm sorry, book six by Eloisa James. Okay. Do we want something thrillery, suspenseful, perhaps a little violent? If you're me, the answer is yes. So let's talk about some romantic suspense, some mysteries, uh, psychological thrillers, all these things that we love. Flight, Texas Murder Files, book two by Laura Griffin. Um, I do want to say this is not coming out in audio until April 27th. However, the print and ebook editions are out today. And this is the sequel to Hidden, which came out, I think, in like November of 2020. And this is about a detective who teams up with a forensic photographer to catch a serial killer. And it is Flight, Texas Murder Files. Number two by Laura Griffin. Tell No Lies. This is the second book in the Mobile Response Team series by Alison Brennan. I have not read the first book in the series. I have read several of her other series, and I really like her smart, sexy way of crafting romantic suspense. It seems like in recent years though she's turned more to like procedural novels than straight up romantic suspense but I still enjoy her writing and I know that Brooke also really enjoys her as does my partner Christine. So this is Tell No Lies Mobile Response Team number two by Alison Brennan. 
then we have a book that I'm really excited about. I've had this on my radar since probably fall of 2020. And I'm so glad it's finally here. It's called By Way of Sorrow. It is Aaron McCabe, book one by Robin Jiggle. And it is similar to, I guess, like the Morgan Dean series by Melinda Lee. It's about a female lawyer. She's a defense attorney. She wants to kind of live a quiet life. And then a newsworthy case kind of sweeps her up and suddenly things are dangerous all over the place. I love a good legal thriller, especially if the main character is smart and spunky and great. So I have really high hopes for this one. It is By Way of Sorrow, Aaron McCabe, book one by Robin Jiggle. Then we have The Last One Home by Victoria Helen Stone. I've read a couple of her books, um, Jane Doe and Evelyn After. This is a novel that focuses on the lies families choose to tell and the people who choose to believe them. There's something very intriguing to me about family dynamics, especially when we really look at secrets and lies. So this is a book I will be picking up as soon as I can. It is The Last One Home, and it is by Victoria Helen Stone. Next up, we have Lurkers by Sandy Tan. This is a mystery set in a neighborhood of immigrants. And this one, I think, has a lot of potential for people to kind of look into another way of life. We see a lot of mysteries set in neighborhoods, in cul-de-sacs, and rarely do those books feature immigrants. So if you are interested in the immigrant experience and you're also looking for a good mystery, you might want to pick this up. It is Lurkers by Sandy Tan. And I am wrapping up this week with a couple of young adult fantasies. These are continuations of series. Um, the first books have already been written. So Bone Crier's Dawn. This is Bone Grace, book two, by Catherine Purdy. This is dark YA fantasy with lots of unruly magic, lots of intrigue some forbidden romance. Um, I have the first book sitting on my iPad. I'm really excited for it, especially now that book two is out, because if I love it, I can just go from book to book. So this is Bone Crier's Dawn, and it's Bone Grace, book two, by Catherine Purdy. And last but not least, this week we have Rule of Wolves, King of Scars, Duology, Book 2 by Lee Bardugo. This is part of her huge Grishaverse series, which I understand will be coming to Netflix pretty soon. Um, the series, like the whole universe starts out with Shadow and Bone, but this is the third or fourth kind of spin-off series um, that she's created. So if you have read Shadow and Bone and um, you found it intriguing, you might be interested in checking this one out. This is King of Scars duology. The first book is, um, gosh, I'm sorry. Okay. This is Rule of Wolves, King of Scars duology book two by Lee Bardugo. And that is it for me this week. I hope all of you are staying safe and well read, of course. 
I hope spring is touching your part of the world and kind of helping to sweep away some of the dreariness that comes with winter. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.